Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series for the USMLE Step 1. It's 2019 and we're doing this again. Uh, today it's me and Stuart. Stuart, how are you? I'm doing great. Thriving here. Thriving? Wow, thriving. that's great. I like to hear that. Yeah, man. I'm thriving too, even though today's my birthday and I'm now even older. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks. We'll have to um, we'll have to go grab a brew after this. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be nice. Virtual uh, brew. I guess I can go uh drive well, it's probably nice where you live. But here it is variable in Ohio. Um all right, before we get into this, I just want to tell everyone, stick around at the end for the announcements. I'm giving you guys a break from all that uh, stuff today because we got a review on April 13th by somebody named Abramaz. A, I don't know how to pronounce that, but uh, the reviewer said, I started listening to you guys today and I really liked the medical content. All right. Yeah. Thumbs up. But I don't think I'll be able to take three to four times per episode of mentioning the new QBank. <laughs> In two episodes, about 30% of the total time was at about the QBank. Um, know your audience, medical students, or decision makers. So mentioning it one time per episode is more than enough. I will keep checking one time per week to know if you fix that or not, to know if I will continue listening or not. Well, Abramos, Abramos. Thank you for that feedback. Um, yes, we are excited about our audio key bank, our audio cue bank, but um, we'll keep it to a minimum for this one. I was just so excited because we've been working on it for mm, way longer than I had planned. And um, but yes, please keep listening and telling your friends. So today we'll get into the content toot sweet. Um, we're gonna do some what ID stuff today. We'll start there, I guess. I'll take this first one. And these questions are brought to you by Exam Circle. Um, they are the provider for our step one audio cue bank. Oh, crap. I just mentioned it twice. 
Um, hopefully that's not too bad. Uh, so go over to examcircle.com. Um, it's actually a free audio cue bank that is crowdsourced and their model of question writing is, I think, uh, at least has the potential to, um, really find the highest yield content to be included in a cue bank. Um, so samcircle.com, it's free, sign up, help contribute. All right. A 25-year-old male presents to the emergency room complaining of fevers, vomiting, headache, and muscle aches. He reports two weeks ago he went on a hunting trip where he shot and killed a bear. Oh, nice. He brought uh, several pounds of the meat home um, and consumed them. Laboratory workup reveals a significant eosinophilia, and a muscle biopsy confirms the diagnosis. He started on the first-line therapy for his condition. Which of the following medications shares a similar mechanism of action to this patient's current treatment regimen? I was thinking we'd start with kind of a, a standard framework of approaching these. Um, I tend to just read the vignette all the way through, um, but maybe what we'll start doing is doing this kind of four-step process where we look at the interrogatory first. So that's which of the following medications shares a similar mechanism of action to this patient's current treatment regimen. All right. Next, read the vignette. Next, Done. summarize the vignette. So in cool. your own words. So Guy kills here, bear, eats bear, gets sick. and uh, he's sick with an eosinophilia um, and he started on a medication that treats the condition that is not named of course so then we get to our answer choices A is ivermectin B is colchicine C is metronidazole and D is diethylcarbamazine (laughs) <laughs> this is a this is kind of a tough one. They're not making it easy for you. So we don't know. I, I mean, assuming you just read this off the cuff, you might not know the diagnosis. Uh, you could probably tell from the eosinophilia they probably have some sort of parasitic infection, and the muscle biopsy may be a giveaway for you because uh, that confirms the diagnosis here. Oh, after that. And there's very few things for which a muscle biopsy confirms the diagnosis. Right, exactly. Uh, then even if you know that, you, I mean, this is uh, this is trichinosis, maybe. That, that's my guess based on that, um, which you get from like eating things like uncooked pork and stuff like that uh, i guess the bear meat is just a weird way of going toward weird that <laughs> um not classic but uh, i don't i don't know enough about bear meat, bear meat. <laughs> to uh to really comment on whether or not it might have trichinella but regardless it asks you what is what medication has a similar mechanism right um so we treat trichinosis with um, albendazole, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like a, a a microtubule destabilizer. Gosh, I hate step one. Um, <laughs> uh, so it basically makes it so that the, 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 the parasites cannot really have good motility, right? What 
other drugs kind of inhibit motility uh, that you can think of? Um, I mean, the other uh, bendazoles, like albendazole um, and colchicine. Yeah. So I really colchicine kind of acts very similarly, except instead of with like the parasitic uh, organisms, it's acting on your own neutrophils. Uh, usually we use that for anti-inflammatory like gout treatment, right? So it's a really interesting way to go about it. The other things that are going to affect um, like microtubules are things like antifungals or like a griseofulvin and then the the classic ones that you got to know for step one are going to be the like vinca alkaloids um and the taxol drugs right uh, those kind of either destabilize microtubules or actually overstabilize them so they can't be broken down and then the the cancer is killed with that right yeah. Um, I think this question illustrates something important. So imagine yourself six hours into step one. You've run out of break time because you had to cry for half an hour worth of, uh, <laughs> half an hour's worth of time. Um, and you have to go to this block and it's, uh, you know, the, the end of that block and you're facing your final block. And you read this question, you're like, okay, 25-year-old dude, uh, eats some bear meat or any meat, all of a sudden has an eosinophilia and muscle pain, and he started on a first-line therapy for his condition. And then this interrogatory is so long, so I'm probably um, thinking in my mind, uh, what's the treatment? What's the treatment? Uh, it's probably a parasite because the eosinophilia. Uh, I bet the uh, answer is ivermectin because that's an anti-parasitic medication. Boom. But Got it. But no. you'd be wrong. <laughs> you'd be wrong because you didn't pay attention. So this one is which medication shares a similar mechanism of action to that first-line treatment. So the first-line treatment we have to know for well, first, we have to know the diagnosis, uh, the most likely diagnosis, which is trichinella. Um, and then we have to know the first-line treatment, which is a bendazole. And then we have to know, in general, the mechanism of action that's, you know, um, uh, acts on microtubules and prevents microtubule um, building, construction, whatever, and parasites. Um, and then we have to know, too, that colchicine does something similar by binding to tubulin inhibiting uh, microtubule polymerization in uh, neutrophils to produce an anti-inflammatory effect. So, I don't know, this question seems simple, but it could be kind of tough. I think it's a little unfair not telling you that we treated this with albendazole. Just saying the first-line therapy... I mean, you never know what they might do on step one, but I don't think they would tell you that they didn't use albendazole here uh, unless they were, this was one of those like 290 questions uh, where you're <laughs> you're not supposed to know. I don't think it's really that fair to not tell you. The, and then to kind of talk about your point about like, you know, what's the treatment? What's the treatment? Oh, uh, here's a anti-parasitic drug here. And, here, and the way that you kind of get around that I found helpful with these tests are when you see there are two drugs that might 
do that same thing. So there's ivermectin, which is an anti-helmet, and there's also diethylcarbamazine, which is also an anti-helmet. If you see the two, and you know, it could be that they want you to pick like the best treatment, uh, in which case that would be a different kind of question here. But when you see multiple drugs that might potentially be useful here, that kind of points you in a different direction. Classically, I had a question recently about lead poisoning, and they wanted to know like what was the next step in management. And they gave me three chelating drugs, and then they had two other answer choices. And I was like, Deferoxamine? They had deferoxamine, uh, dimercural, and like EDTA. Um, or like dimercurosuximer, something like that. I forget their names. <laughs> not important. I'm not going to deal with that. <laughs> um, I can read them. Actually, it's totally important. You yeah. should probably know those. Ignore Stuart on that point, but we don't want to overwhelm you with information. We exactly. Want you to be able to take something with you from this episode and bring it to uh, your exam center on test day. Right. But the point being, they had three of them, and I was like, oh, goodness, which of these three, like, are they getting at, like, which one is the better one? I ultimately didn't end up picking either, any of them um, because it was, like, a very sly question where it just wanted you to double-check that their lead level was actually elevated. But that was a reason to, like, be weary of picking one. It's because all of those answers were, typic were like, actual ways of treating the lead poisoning, right? Steps in management of... of Treating lead poisoning. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So just to summarize, uh, part of this vignette did not include some of the classic associations with trichinella um, explicitly. So um, you see myalgias and periorbital edema in somebody who ate undercooked meat. Um, that's going to be your classic setup for trichinella. Um, another one of my favorite couple parasite facts that... Um, you want to keep straight are the liver hydated uh, cysts. Um, do you know what that's in? Oh, what organism? The, uh, the 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 the. No, I'm blanking on it right now. Echinococcus granulosus. Echinococcus, right? Yeah, I just like to say that one. Um, all right, what about hematuria associated with squamous cell bladder cancer? Parasite. Mm, I think of like a strongaloides there. Uh, eh. No. Um, I mean, I guess, honestly, I don't know. Maybe it could. But the one that shows up in the review books, uh, schistosoma hematobium. Ah, schistosoma. Sorry. Strongaloides. Yeah, schistosoma. Bladder. Sorry. That's just the wrong. That one's easier, though, because it's bladder, bleeding bladder, hematobium. Right, uh, <laughs> he should bring up the idea of blood, um, and then how about uh, seizures in a brain cyst? Ooh, like sister sarcosis. Yep. Do you know what the organism's name is? Oh, I always forget these things. No, I don't know. I don't Tenius know. Solium. <laughs> Tenius solium. The solium. That's okay. I, I actually prepared notes on this one. <laughs> <laughs> trying to show you up that's okay this is how pimping works such an enjoyable uh pedagogical method within medicine it's lovely you want to take the next one which is number four on our list 
So let's change it up a little bit here. You want to read it backwards like we were talking about? Yeah, let's uh, try to let's see. To let's see what uh, you guys think about this because it's a little different uh, way of, of approaching the question. And it kind of, you know, I kind of feel like we talk about doing it this way. And then when we, we read it normally, <laughs> like I feel like everyone's sitting there like kind of banging their fist or I would be at least. But in the last episode, I, I said I was going to try to stick to this four-step framework like I mentioned above, but let me just explicate it as a reminder again. One, read your interrogatory first. Next, read your vignette. Keep your answers covered. Don't look yet. Next, this is number three, summarize uh, the vignette in your own words, highlighting the you know pertinent positives or negatives, and then Four, try to come up with an answer to that uh, uh, interrogatory that is uh, that you come to without looking at the answer choices, because each board question should cover the uh, satisfy the cover the answer choices um, criterion, which basically means you can come up with an answer without actually looking at the um, answer choices. Now that doesn't mean that if you come up with an answer that may be appropriate, that it's going to be the one that's listed because one way of making a question more or less difficult is to pick a, you know, one treatment amongst four acceptable ones and only including one and the rest being things that aren't treatments, for instance. So yeah, let's try that. I'll give it a shot. Okay, so just to throw us off, a little bit. What pathologic process describes the formation of these lesions? So we, we know we're talking about some process here. So we have a 27-year-old male who is a known IV drug user who presents to the ED with shortness of breath. He's difficult to arouse and intermittently responsive to questions. He's febrile. Tachy hey, he's like a medical student. Classic, right? Difficult to arouse, intermittently responsive to questions <laughs> in the way, you know. He's febrile, tachycardic with a blood pressure of 108 over 76. His respirations are 10. On exam, there are lesions on his nails as well as fingertips and toes. When these lesions are palpated, he withdraws vigorously. All right, again, what pathological Sounds process painful. describes the formation of these lesions? Is it? Whoa, 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 not yet. Yeah, see, okay. see, it's hard to uh, break our habits. Yeah, so, yeah. All right, so you read that first, and you read the vignette. So, okay, what so we let's have, summarize what we have. We have a drug user who has things in there. They're, I mean, they're, more, more properly, a, a person who has a substance use disorder. I mean, I've told you, I want to go back and do, you know, if I can uh, get enough money or once my wife becomes an attending, uh, I'm going to go back and do an addiction fellowship, I think. Oh, yeah. Thinking about it. Just redo it all. Start over. So a substance use disorder. Thank you. Sure. If you say so. Maybe they just like to do IV drugs occasionally. You never know. This could still happen. <laughs> anyway, then they're... they're uh, probably under the influence right now and then they have lesions in their fingers and toenails right yeah sounds like uh they're painful apparently because he withdraws vigorously yeah sounds like he's got endocarditis i don't know if we need more information than that 
in fact that's kind of the beauty of these questions or these like when you read the 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 interrogative and you're like what pathological process describes the formation of these lesions if you know exactly well you know that's clearly directing you to the lesions oh the lesions on his nails fingertips and toes that that and what's are painful the pathologic process it's endocarditis so mm-hmm. so right. we know answer where choices. we are i have an answer in mind uh just kidding i i would I don't have an answer for the cover of the answer test on this one. I would have to probably look at the answer choices. No, you no, you had it. You had you say endocarditis and why endocarditis? Um, well, because these lesions are uh, what should I call it? Osler nodes, Janeway lesions, Roth spots, Osler loads, those things, splinter hemorrhages. We should explain the difference uh, amongst those that, before ending this question, but is it septic emboli? We never read the answer choices, so <laughs> let's let's do that then. <laughs> All right. We're concerned that they have endocarditis because they're a drug user and they have these lesions, and this is just a classic setup. So we have, is it deposition of immune complexes on subsequent in, and subsequent inflammatory response? Septic emboli spontaneous capillary hemorrhage or external trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one of my answer choices is there. Um, septic emboli. Uh, but they're painful. I mean, my problem here is I don't really remember the difference between Osler nodes and Janeway lesions. Well, <laughs> And really the pathophysiology of those things. <laughs> right. So uh, maybe help me out on this one. So Janeway lesions, they're like, they're non-tender for starters, but they're just little like red spots that kind of like, uh, I think of them as like tracking up the palms, like of the hand, which are a little different from Osler nodes in the fact that they are, Osler nodes are actually painful and kind of more in the fingertips okay they're like these painful red lesions right now both are kind of coming from very similar like you get this reddening and erythema there but the the difference here is these being painful makes them osler nodes right instead of janeway lesions and osler nodes are painful because they have a inflammatory response and that inflammatory response is related to immune complex deposition, which is a deposition of immune complexes and subsequent inflammatory response. So you were like, all right, IV drug user, we've got septic emboli, right? And you're right. They probably do. It's just not what they're describing here. Okay. You're thinking of like the the like splinter hemorrhages and little pain at like the tips of the fingers, right? Which is just a very similar finding. And you can almost you can almost like lump all these together and, and say that because they are all occurring in the hand, there's probably just like one thing, but there there's just a couple subtle distinctions here. Oh, so I talked. I mentioned the Osler nodes. That's what they're describing here as painful erythematous lesions, where the Janeway lesions are more um, just erythematous but non non tender. 
Another thing. You know what? I think I would, I, I would remember Osler nodes as painful probably by saying, if they have an Osler node, what comes next? Well, O in the alphabet, then P. So Osler painful. I don't know if that works, though, because it depends on how you remember the opposite of painful. Non-painful is probably how I would do it. Because, <laughs> of course, painless also begins with a P. I don't know, though. Maybe talking about that as Osler nodes painful is helpful. But they're both on the um, extremities, which always, I think, confuse me. But the Janeway lesions you said are, are painless. Those are on the palms and soles, and Osler nodes... Are they more properly on the fingers themselves or the pads of the toes or whatever? I think of both of them in the hand. Yeah, I don't I don't distinguish them as like a tips of the fingers or anything. The the Osler nodes being inflammatory is kind of the easy way to put them pick them with a an inflammatory response is painful for me. So that's how I would remember that. That's not particularly helpful though because if you really look into like how Janeway lesions develop, I think they're they're kind of they they are septic emboli causing like little micro abscesses in the skin, and I would think of that as painful. But they're considered non tender, so there's some sort of voodoo magic there that I don't want to confuse the listeners with. <laughs> <laughs> Is it that you don't want to confuse them, or, or I don't understand it either? Yeah. Come on, let's let's be honest. But then again, you don't have to know everything to get these questions right. So, all right. Yeah, that's the problem with step one is you do have to know everything to get it right. What about the mnemonic from Jane? Yep, these are the common findings associated with infective endocarditis. It's an um, acronym. Ooh, okay. So, I don't, I can't think of F right now, but O is probably the Fever. Osler nodes. Okay. Fever, Osler nodes, Roth spots, and Janeway lesions. Murmur. Oh, I forgot an M. <laughs> I just said yeah, for Jane. <laughs> uh, from Jane. From Jane. Um, anemia, nail bed hemorrhages, and emboli. Hmm. I like it. All right. Before moving on, let's mention uh, that thing about the the number one cause for acute endocarditis is what bug oh i thought you were gonna go with like drug use uh so it's gonna be like uh it's gonna be staph right from drug use staph aureus um and then what about subacute endocarditis oh we're gonna think about that's gonna be viridans or like a strep mutans um bug yep classically streptococci Classically, they just had some like dental work done or they have really bad oral hygiene. Uh, and then there's the, the, the like one you have to like, for some reason we love this. Um, I guess we, we love this relationship between strep bovis and colon cancer. So that, yeah, that's, that a good that's like a, another one to look out for. If you see a, like an older gentleman who hasn't had like recent, dentals work or something and they're found to have endocarditis and it comes back as a uh, strep bug consider doing a colonoscopy okay that's that's i did not know that one that's good <laughs> right it's an interesting it's an interesting association and that's why i think it's testable it's more yeah, step two absolutely. that's getting away from step one though 
Murmurs, so which valve is most likely or most commonly involved in endocarditis, bacterial endocarditis? It's going to be a tricuspid murmur. So that's in IV drug use, right? Yes. Let me restate that. It's overall the valve most um, commonly involved in endocarditis is the mitral valve. But yes. if you have a tricuspid nuanset, like tricuspid murmur or uh, vegetation on the tricuspid valve, uh, you can take it to the bank that the person has a substance use disorder, ooh. IV drugs. Ooh, ooh. Is that better? It's close. It's close. There's one instance I'll throw out where it's not the case. Oh, um, man, okay. Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> No, no, no. You no, you called me out on my tricuspid. I just like jumped to endocarditis being IV drug use all the time. You might have tricuspid or pulmonic valve involvement with metastatic carcinoid. Um, oh. Yeah. For some reason the excess serotonin can lead to a inflammatory or like deposition on those valves and lead to a murmur there. Okay. Am I supposed to know that? I probably don't have to know it. I don't, I don't know if you need it anymore. <laughs> I think I only had, I've had three patients in the past seven years who had endocarditis pregnant, but man, they got really sick. But you know, it's disappointing. They didn't have some of the Janeway Osler nodes findings. Probably not disappointing for them, but <laughs> disappointing from a, uh, I would like to see this standpoint. Oh, yeah. I I mean, the fact is, like, a lot of these are, like, question-worthy material where you may not see it in real life just because uh, we typically try to catch things earlier than they, you know, become before they become really bad. Like, tertiary syphilis, you're not going to be, hopefully, it would be in a really interesting situation where you see tertiary syphilis. First patient I ever saw on my psychiatry, geriatric psychiatry, first rotation, first day, tertiary syphilis. I was like, oh, man, third year is going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It got a little more uh, quotidian after that. Mm, gotcha. But yeah, the, the, the other situation, but it would be like carcinoid. Uh, but you, you got it. IV drug use is definitely going to be more common. All right. So as promised before, though, here are our announcements for this episode. Now, I know some of you want to turn this off specifically, probably at Abramos, uh, Abram, Abramos, Abramos, I don't know. Um, but I hope you don't because I'd like you to hear my appeal and offer. So number one, we will pay for your USMLE or Comlex registration fee. We're running a contest now um, over the course of three months, and the top three winners who earn enough points, which I'll get to in a second, will be entered into a drawing at the end of three months to have their USMLE or Comlex uh, exam registration fee paid for thanks to physicianloans.com. During this contest, you earn points for doing certain actions like leaving a review on uh, on iTunes. So Abramaus would have already 
got one point or, or two points, however that's set up. I can't remember. Next, we're uh, doing kind of lifestyle encouragement things. So we are granting points as well for you doing the things you probably normally do or feel like you ought to do to have work-life balance. So if you're out exercising or you decide to make a healthy meal or take a break intentionally from study to watch Game of Thrones, unlike Stuart did where he watched Game of Thrones for days on end during his step one study. You do things like that, post proof of it in some sense via photo or video on Instagram, tag us at uh, Inside the Boards, um, and then use the hashtag listen, learn, live. This is kind of the framework or rubric uh, around which we're building Inside the Boards, because if you have listened to us, you probably notice we try to uh, encourage not only you know you to study and do better or as well as you can on your board exams, but also to put it in the perspective of the broader context of your life, because truly, your life is more than just medical school. You will not be able to be a good doctor. You will not be able to, quote Lincoln Osiris from Tropic Thunder, survive if you do not have balance in your life. So we want to encourage that. Basically then, you do the things you normally do, but post the proof on social media and then help us out uh, uh, if you find our content useful by sharing episodes, things like that. And you could get different prizes like subscriptions to our audio QBank or the ultimate grand prize, your USMLE Comlex registration fee. It's over a $600 value. And again, thanks Physician Loans because well, we could not afford to pay that right now. At any rate, there's announcement number one. Announcement number two, please go download our iOS beta app and give us feedback. Use the meditations in there, again, as another part of the live component of our Listen, Learn, Live framework. Um, help you kind of de-stress during med school. They're free, so you can save a few bucks on, uh, you know, if you've already exhausted your headspace, uh, uh, save a few bucks on your headspace subscription, or I don't know. I have no idea what I'm saying. I'm just going to leave it here, though. All right, so that's the end. All right, we'll see you back next time. It's the Step 1 Study Smarter Series.